Before we begin this episode, we would like to thank our listener, Ken Costa, for suggesting today's topic. The Jitney Carnival was coming to Norwood, Cincinnati, Ohio, to the St. Peter and Paul Church grounds. It was going to be a highlight of the summer's end where families with children and teens looking for fun would be entertained by a sideshow, feast on popcorn and candy apples, and ride the multitude of new mechanical amusement thrill rides. The congregation were excited, and Reverend Gregory Miller, a pastor of the church, had an idea when he spotted an 8 million candlewatt power searchlight at an army surplus sale. He saw them used in Hollywood to draw people to theaters and events, and so he purchased the searchlight in hopes of making a grand spectacle. Little did he know, at the time he was about to reveal something very mysterious in the skies, above Norwood, that would not only attract the attention of carnival-goers, but also the media and the military. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 5, Episode 8, The Norwood Searchlight UFO. Having received the item shipped to the church, the reverend was now scratching his head as to how to actually operate the huge searchlight. The seller told him it was as easy as turning on a flashlight, but this was not the case. After several inquiries with friends, he finally found someone capable of not only installing the searchlight, but also someone who would operate it. Sergeant Donald Berger of the ROTC from the University of Cincinnati volunteered to operate the light and show others how to use it. On August 29th of 1949, Sergeant Berger was operating the light during the height of the carnival. It was a success, and the high-power light drew in curiosity seekers and added Hollywood touch to the festivities. As Sergeant Berger swept the skies back and forth, he noted something very unusual. The searchlight revealed something that should not be there. In the clear skies high above the church was a glowing disc. He moved the searchlight away from the disc, and it continued to pulsate a glow. Placing the light back on the object, he next noted that it flew upward. He left the light locked on to the disc for about 15 minutes as he contemplated what it could be. A balloon, an airplane, a strange cloud. Nothing made sense and so he called upon Reverend Miller to take a look. The Reverend was just as confused. The disc remained in the sky, motionless, some four to five miles above. It appeared to be glowing. Others were now asked to look to see what they thought, and no one in attendance could explain it. The group decided to keep an eye on the object, but word got out that something was in the sky. Attendees at the carnival were now looking up, and they too saw some sort of disc high above them. With nothing extraordinary happening other than some sort of stationary object in the sky, perhaps a balloon or some sort of stunt, the carnival-goers turned their attention to the stage where a singing troupe were beginning their gig. Reverend Miller and Sergeant Berger were not so easily distracted, and they felt that the object was not natural, and they should keep a close watch on it. Sergeant Berger volunteered to continue to use the searchlight and monitor the disc, and in doing so, he kept meticulous logs of his work and observations. Each night, he would observe the stationary disc. It didn't move, and it glowed slightly. 
On September 11, 1949, he moved the searchlight to the St. Gertrude Church in Madeira, Ohio, so that he would be able to monitor the object closer to his home. He indicates he picked up the object, but then it disappeared, flying straight up, going very fast. Changing carbons on the light, he readjusted and saw it again, this time moving in a different direction. It was as if, this time, it did not want to be noticed. Getting a strange feeling about the object now, he decided to call the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to tell them what was going on. Officials at the base took his testimony and said they would investigate. On September 17th, he captured the object again, but could now only see it when he adjusted to light toward the object. The glow that he initially observed was not as intense, and with the naked eye, the object was invisible. On October 23rd, he again captured the object with the searchlight, this time in a slightly different area in the sky. He called upon the reverend to witness it again. William Winkler, who was working at the church, called upon his friends in the media, Robert Lynn, the managing editor of the Cincinnati Post, and his reporter, Leo Hurdle, arrived to observe the disc in the sky and make a public note. Along with them were Leo Davidson of the Norwood Police Department. The officer has with him a Hugo Meyer F-19 3-inch camera with a telephoto lens. That night, he recorded three rolls of 25-foot footage of the object. Again, Sergeant Berger called Wright-Patterson, and this time was transferred to an intelligence officer because the disc was now not just a stationary object in the sky. Now, all the witnesses present were observing something very, very odd, and the intelligent officer was recording notes feverishly. As the searchlight was illuminating the disc object, the witnesses now saw triangle-shaped objects flying out of it in two distinct formations. Five triangle-shaped objects twice flew out of the main disc, descending and then disappearing. A half hour later, the same exact instance happened again, in the same very manner. Reverend Miller had with him a high-quality camera and snapped several photos. The disc remained motionless for several hours, and the group decided to end the vigil for the night. For the next month, Sergeant Berger picked up the object only periodically. In December, he picked up the object, and with him were D.A. Wells, a University of Cincinnati physicist, and Dr. Paul Hergert, a University of Cincinnati astronomer, and also the mayor of Norwood. And with them, observing the searchlight and the disc, were two very odd fellows in suits who claimed to be intelligence officers. They claimed their names were Mr. Eckelberger and the other Mr. Eckelbarger. No further information about these two other reports could be found, but Father Miller said he felt suspicious about them. On January 11, 1950, Sergeant Berger with the Air Force National Guard, spotted the object again, and more photographs were taken. The last observation of the disc was on March 10, 1950, and as instructed, Sergeant Berger called Wright-Patterson to provide details of the sighting. In 1952, with flying saucers now the national craze, a local television station held a special report on flying saucers. 
Father Miller and Sergeant Berger were present on a panel to discuss what was now described as a flying saucer platform. Also present was Leo Hurdle, the reporter who was present during the one sighting. But instead of talking about his observations that night, he honked like a goose whenever Father Miller or Sergeant Berger spoke. He claimed the disc in the sky was simply geese and that all the witnesses were foolish to believe otherwise. With the honking continually interrupting the television debate and tempers flaring, the show ended. Father Miller indicated now, however, off-camera in the air, that he had photographs to prove it was not geese and that a police officer had filmed the object and that three rolls of film also would show the object. Those that viewed both the original photographs and the film said the disc and the triangle-shaped objects were not geese, clouds, or anything naturally explained. Eventually, the photographs were taken by Time Life magazine, who said they would be doing a special report on flying saucers. Harry Mayo wrote a feature about the incident, but it was never published. The photos were never returned. The film footage taken by the police officer also has a curious outcome. It was requested that the film be sent on behalf of Time Life to Captain R.C. White of the OPI in Washington for analysis. The film was never returned, and inquiries to Captain White are answered promptly with, quote, We have made a thorough check of our files, and they are not in our possession. Moreover, we have made a check of our correspondence as well as our photographic files, and can find no reference to such photographs either by name or by location. Both the photographic evidence and the film footage are simply lost. In an article written in the Cincinnati Post, an explanation is given. Dr. D.A. Wells, the professor of physics at the University of Cincinnati, and Paul Heggert, the astronomy professor, both published their opinions. Dr. Wells states, In my opinion, it's an optical illusion. Cincinnati University astronomy professor Heggert states, It's not a fake. I believe it may be caused by the illumination of gas in the atmosphere. We have now an explanation to squash people's fears. End quote. Honking geese, atmospheric gases, weather balloons. Yeah, right. More recently, however, research notes that Wright-Patterson Air Force Base were interested in the sighting. According to one particular squadron leader from that time period, the object was observed on radar for nearly 30 days and watched around the clock until it made an exit from Earth's atmosphere where they lost track of it. The testimony of this particular individual has been deleted and the webpage claiming this information has been taken over by what appears to be a company selling butt-enhancing pills, herbs that increase the size of your booty. Again, more honking geese. Years after the incident, a photo was discovered of the disc above Norwood. It shows the beam of light from the searchlight seemingly bending into the disc-shaped object at about 26.5 degrees. It's a strange photo, and we will showcase these on our Facebook page. In addition to the photo, witnesses have come forward to say they observed the film footage and said at one instance the light is bent toward the disc as if it is sucking it in. 
The Norwood searchlight UFO seems to be all but lost to rumor and speculation. Even with the events unfolding to clergy, police, and military officials, as well as being reported to Wright-Patterson and the intelligence community, the event does not appear in any official documents such as Project Grudge, the effort brought forward by the U.S. Air Force to investigate flying saucers. At the time, Norwood was news and observations going on for months, yet the military ignores it in any reporting. Why? In 1952, Project Blue Book took over for Project Grudge. They indicated the Norwood sighting was just clouds and ice particles and nothing more. Project Blue Book was designed to discredit sightings, and they did nothing with the files of the Norwood searchlight UFO. In the declassified files, there are no records of the photographs given to them, the original negatives, the military involvement, or any substantial notes. In the file remains one poorly photocopy of a photocopy of a photograph. There is no mention of any intelligence officers viewing the object, nor any reports taken by Wright-Patterson each time Sergeant Berger reported in. More modern researchers have tried to track down Sergeant Berger, find eyewitnesses, and more documents, but nothing substantial has ever been uncovered. The Norwood searchlight UFO remains a mystery. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links, and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Capelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian Von Ziegler. <laughs>